Hi, everyone. I'm Daniela Sotheby, and welcome to Progress Proud. You are in for a treat because you will be hearing from Progress's Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer, Shirley Knowles. Prior to joining Progress, she worked for an insurance company where she built their diversity and inclusion practice from the ground up. And now at Progress, she is making a tremendous impact as she focuses on cultivating a culture of inclusion, diversity, and belonging. I was lucky to be able to sit down with her for a conversation around gender equality, focusing on women's rights and girls' rights, not just in the workplace, but beyond. We address big questions like, how can we show up for women and girls worldwide so they feel seen, heard, and valued? And how can we end this cycle of burnout? You'll hear the word empathy a handful of times along with I hear you and I see you, all to ensure that all women and girls feel a sense of belonging in every space they inhabit. Thank you for joining us. Please enjoy this conversation with Shirley Knowles. Hello, Shirley. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. It's nice to see you here in person, live in our studio in Burlington. Thank you. You're like the fifth person that I've seen in person, either in Bedford or Burlington. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's an honor to see real humans. Yep. (laughs) In real life instead of on a screen. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm seeing you in person. So the last time I saw you was Diwali. And that was really fun in the Bedford office. The first time we met, it was your photo shoot, right? Yes. And that was a really awesome time because I get to meet you. But I Mm. also got to meet my boss, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Katie, for the first time in real life. And your leader and Mm -hmm. and so many other people for the first time. So, yeah. And I felt very welcomed. Um, that first meeting. Mm-hmm. So it's always great to catch up with people again. Mm-hmm. And you met Paul there too. <laughs> and I met Paul there too. And that was when we did a photo shoot and then yes. uh, interview like right away yes. within an hour. And you're like, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and we made it happen and it was great. Yeah. So I am super excited to have you working at Progress. The meetings I've been fortunate enough to be in with you, just really insightful conversations, just love your energy, everything you bring to the table. So Great. very happy Thank to be you. having this conversation. I'll let my mother know that uh, <laughs> she did a good job, you know, and yeah. telling me to bring the energy when I when I meet people. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's been a minute, right? So for everyone listening, I am on the leadership committee for Progress for Her with Courtney and a few other folks from around the world. And we are transitioning to a new leadership team, which I'm super excited about to see what they will bring to the table in 2022 and beyond. But I remember we wanted to have a conversation around gender equality in the workplace and beyond, looking at women's rights and girls' rights included in that. Because we originally spoke around International Day of the Girl, wanted to get together to have a conversation about that. I worry that girls' rights get lost in the conversation when we talk about women's rights because it, it starts with girls. Like, you got to look out for them. Right. So very happy we can actually sit down, have this conversation, walk through some things, because I'm sure you have a ton of knowledge around this area of gender equality and obviously keeping it intersectional, too, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you make a really good point about forgetting the girls. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really where this empowerment should start. Mm -hmm. We don't want young girls growing up and moving into the workplace Mm -hmm. and thinking that, um, just asking for fair and equitable treatment is mm-hmm. something that's like above and beyond what everyone else is getting. Mm-hmm. It should be the norm. And that is something that we should be teaching young girls mm-hmm. so that when they do become women, they can move into a space and say, I have arrived and I'm asking for 
basic human rights, Mm -hmm. right? I'm asking for equitable pay, equitable treatment. So um, it's all super important. But again, you you hit the nail on the head. It Mm -hmm. starts with girls. Yeah. Cool. That was really good. Okay. But yes, I agree with you completely. Girls' rights are human rights. And yes, there's International Day of the Girl. It's one day a year, but it should be every single day of the year. People keep that in mind. Right. So 2020 was a very rough year for women. 2021, very rough year for women. We saw the impact the pandemic had on working mothers, on single parents, on women in general, even if we don't have kids, like we were experiencing the burnout. And it wasn't just the pandemic, it was still experiencing the mistreatment at work too, like whether they're handling microaggressions and trying to combat that, like they're being spoken down to, they're being questioned, it's, it's exhausting. But with that said, the McKinsey and Company Group, along with Lean In, they put out a report in 2021 called The Woman in the Workplace, and they took a look at how a woman doing, are they burnt out? And yes, they are. (laughs) A lot of women left the workforce. 42% of women said that they often felt burnt out. A lot of them were considering leaving their jobs or even downshifting their careers. So that's brutal. So moving forward to 2022, what can leaders do now to decrease these percentages of burnout in 2022 for women? I am a very big advocate of leaders checking in on their teams, Mm -hmm. right? So even if you take women versus men versus folks who identify as non-binary, even if you take that out of the equation, leaders need to start checking in with their teams more. Now, when you add women into the equation and you think, again, traditionally, women are the caregivers at home. So they're the ones that are thinking about the kids primarily and running their household and being in the workforce. It's a lot. And this is something that women have been doing. And with the pandemic, you had social justice unrest. Mm. I mean, you have the great resignation that's happening. There are so many things that are happening right now. And there are many women that are starting to feel the burn, even more so than they normally would. Mm -hmm. They're actually sitting down and saying, wait a minute, this is a lot. And it's always been a lot. But now they're being a little more introspective and saying, I cannot go on operating at 150%, right? It's just too much. And so when I look to leaders, I say, you need to check in with your teams. Mm -hmm. You need to be flexible with your employees and say, hey, you look like you have a lot on your plate right now. Um, I'm not sure if it's professional stuff, you know, like the things that you're working on or if it's personal stuff. But if you need to take a day or two to Mm -hmm. get things in order to breathe, Mm-hmm. You need to do that. And that little gesture of just saying to someone, I see you, mm-hmm. I can tell that you are juggling a lot mm-hmm. or that you have a lot on your mind right now, that will pay dividends down the road mm-hmm. because that person feels seen and valued. So that's really the first step. Additionally, I think that, you know, once leaders have those conversations with their women employees and they're getting this feedback, it's then time to take action if there is action that results out of a conversation that leaders are having with women. So if it's like, hey, we're starting these meetings at 730, 8 a.m. I know they're super important, but I'm doing drop off for my kids at that time. So it's really hard for me to be on a call and pay attention to, you know, my kid getting out of the car, making sure they have all of their things. Perhaps a leader can say, 
maybe we move this meeting to 8.30, 9 o'clock mm-hmm. so that it really does accommodate some of the schedules of the women on the team. Mm-hmm. But those are two just, in my mind, very easy action items that leaders can take to help, mm-hmm. you know, some women who, again, just feel this burnout. It can help them feel seen and then take some sort of action to help alleviate some of that stress. And by the way, I will say that the McKinsey report is phenomenal. Mm. Progress actually participated in this report. So there were hundreds of companies that gave feedback. I personally gave the feedback to the McKinsey report on behalf of Progress. And I would definitely encourage any listener to go and look at that report and look at the breakdown. Mm. You mentioned intersectionality. So it's broken down by disability. It's broken down by race. There are just so many other factors that are added into or paired with, you know, individuals being women and black women, women with disabilities, women that belong Mm -hmm. to the LGBTQ plus community. But it's a phenomenal report. And I would encourage Mm -hmm. um, anyone to read that. Yeah, I remember looking through the report. I was like, they're really covering everything and everyone. It was so great to see. Yes. A lot of time it's about the white woman. So I was very happy to see everybody. I was going to ask you because we talked about leadership. But now I'm wondering what can the average employee do to support their female colleagues? Because sometimes I wonder, like, if I see somebody experiencing burnout, how do I support them without also being burnt up by myself too. Right. It's a lot of things to consider because you care about others and you see them struggling or burnt out, but you don't really know how to help them too. Right. Yeah. So I will say that the phrase that pays in 2022, I predict Mm. the word is empathy. Yeah. Now Mm -hmm. this is a word that, I mean, obviously we all know the word, the definition, and it's something that I feel that we should have, apply to our colleagues. I mean, it should have always been here. But as we move into this new year and we think about people who are tired, Mm -hmm. we should show some sort of empathy to those individuals and understand that there are many battles that uh, many of us are facing right now, um, invisible battles that your colleagues don't know about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some folks are not comfortable with sharing Um, some of those experiences. But we can oftentimes, if you work closely enough with some folks, you can feed off of their energy Mm -hmm. and you know that something is up. And just showing that you care, letting them know that, hey, I'm here for you if you want to talk, that can mean a lot. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned how you may be someone who's also feeling burned Mm -hmm. out. So to even think about taking on more Right. When you yourself may be going through something can be very daunting to to think about. And I don't think that we should necessarily go out and ask someone and tell me your entire life story. Right. What's up? (laughs) But just there are certain days where you just see someone and you you think something's up. Let me just let them know that I'm here Mm -hmm. if they want to talk. And sometimes that does go very far. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, it goes back to the checking in mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily leader to their team, but it could also be colleague to colleague. Yep. And that can really help to build some really strong relationships. Mm-hmm. Empathy, empathy, empathy. And I love the ICU telling people that, yes, I see you. I see you struggling. I love that. But back to the report, because you mentioned how absolutely amazing it is. They cover everything. We t- previously talked about burnout. Women are leaving the workforce. They downshift from their careers. They're experiencing microaggressions to an extreme percentage that the male counterparts don't experience, whether 
even if they're in leadership positions, they're being questioned and judged. And then women of color, they're more likely to experience these other microaggressions to maybe feel like an outsider, which is completely bizarre. But what can we do to stop these patterns of microaggressions? And and how do we increase the sense of belonging for all women in the workplace? Microaggressions is like this term that has become very popular in the past couple of years. And, you know, one of the tricky things about inclusion and diversity is that there are certain words like diversity, like microaggressions that make people uncomfortable. So I like to simplify certain phrases or terms. And so another word that I would use or phrase I would use to uh, call microaggressions, I call them throwaway comments, Mm -hmm. right? So I look at, let's say, folks in popular culture that may say something that they viewed as a throwaway comment. So one example of this for any person listening that's a sports fan, I think of John Gruden, right? So John Gruden is a football coach and he made derogatory comments that, I mean, can very easily be tied to not so far as to say racial epithets, but it's tied to race and it's, Mm -hmm. and you know, you shouldn't say it. He made these comments about a black player, a former player, and when he was called out for it, he just said, it's not what you think it is, or I didn't mean it in that way. Mm-hmm. Now, what's so interesting is he saw it as a throwaway comment. I'm just, I'm talking about it. Or when he was referencing the commissioner forcing, and I'm using air quotes here, forcing uh, another head coach to take on a gay player and the commissioner's forcing us to do this. And he used a derogatory term to describe gay players. These were throwaway comments for him. But the fact of the matter is the people that he is addressing or that he's talking about are real individuals that hear this type of feedback or these type of comments day in and day out. These are not throwaways for them. These are microaggressions for them. Mm -hmm. And they're constantly moving through their life, dealing with, you know, someone making a comment that they're just supposed to swallow and just say, oh, well, you know, they didn't mean it that way or Mm -hmm. you're being too sensitive. And it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And again, we're talking about women here and you were talking about, again, like women with disabilities or black women or Hispanic women or even white women. Right. Mm -hmm. You're hearing these microaggressions or these throwaway comments every single day. Mm -hmm. And people are asking you, hey, Danielle, you know, like they didn't mean it like that or that's just the way that they are. Don't take any offense to it. Just move on. I mean, after a while, you're kind of like, wait a minute, why am I the one that's making all the sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Why can't that person learn? You don't say these type of things. So microaggressions are a very real thing. Again, I call them throwaway comments, but I think the individuals that are guilty of using certain terms or phrases really need to be open to learning how they can be better Mm -hmm. and how they can stop saying offensive phrases that again, put marginalized communities in a position where they're constantly just accepting whatever it is that you're saying, because Mm -hmm. we need to be understanding of, you know, you're just old school or that's just the way that you talk over it. Right. That's that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question following up that. So say if I'm in a meeting and I hear a colleague speaking down to another colleague, what do you do in the moment listening to that? Like, how do you what's the best way to intervene and just tell someone like, 
that's not cool. And because I think when you're working with somebody too, it's a different layer. It's not like it's a stranger on the street. Like these are your colleagues you see every day in a professional setting. So there's always that line of like, how do you walk it with them? So this is actually a conversation that our senior leaders just participated in. We had a 90 training for Mm -hmm. them back in October. And we talked about how to have tough conversations. And in this exercise, it was, you know, an individual contributor coming to a leader, which we can argue that it's not as likely that an individual contributor would go to a leader and say, hey, you hurt my feelings Mm. just because of the power dynamic. And so, you know, I'm not sure how often that would happen. But even if you look peer to peer, how do you go and say to someone Mm -hmm. like that wasn't funny? Right. And so... You know, my approach is if I hear someone make a comment that could be a little offensive, I may say, hey, you know, I don't know if that's really the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, we should kind of stay away from that. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, as soon as you throw that out there, people immediately mm-hmm. like kind of shut down a little bit because they have now been called out in a professional setting. Mm-hmm. So now they're going through their mind. You know, is someone going to take this to HR? I didn't mm-hmm. need it that way. It's not that serious. So now they're doing like their own math. But for the most part, it should shut down. Mm. I would then say if the individual is brave enough, they should look and speak to that other individual just one on one, even if it wasn't offensive to you. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's offensive to someone else in the room. Yeah. You as someone who, again, wants to be brave can say, hey, let me just pull you to the side. Let me just tell you why that wasn't funny or that wasn't the appropriate comment to make. Mm-hmm. And you don't want the receiver, the person who said the comment to get defensive, because, again, this is what happens sometimes. People, well, I didn't mean it that way. Well, you're being too serious about it. It's like, listen, I just want to help you so that you don't make this same mistake again in the future, Mm -hmm. because in the future, I may not be in the room. There may be someone else in there who then goes to HR and now it is a big deal. So let me take this time to help you help yourself. And but that's scary, right? To even approach. I mean, if I said something in a meeting and, you know, it was off putting off color, you know, it was just something that wasn't appropriate. If you and I are colleagues it may take some courage for you to approach me and say, surely, hey, that wasn't the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's hard. It's the people that are receiving this information, the folks that need to do the work sometimes can be defensive. And I want to help tear that defensive wall down and Mm -hmm. have people be open and just be willing to learn, right? There are some old school phrases and sayings that derive from some not so nice, you know, ways of of addressing certain groups of people. And that has like morphed into this new phrase. And so people say it all the time. And it's like, eh, that's not what you should say anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you don't want to necessarily make it a big deal, but that's not what we say anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it is unfortunate. There are so many of those terms that it's in our language and you don't even realize what you're saying is offensive because you don't understand the history of the context of it. Right. But then if I say something that's wrong or offensive and somebody tells me it's wrong and offensive, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, right. Got it. Let me do my research here right. and figure out the history of it. But, you know, I I do say to and I've said this to other people, even here at Progress, 
my target audience, right? So everyone's my target audience, but my target audience isn't necessarily the folks that get inclusion and diversity and belonging and equity, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It's not necessarily you as someone, if someone came to you and said, hey, Danielle, this was offensive and you, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're not my target audience Mm -hmm, necessarily. mm -hmm. It's the person that does get defensive. Mm -hmm. It's the person that shuts down when we talk about inclusion and diversity. That's the target, because when you are resistant to learning new things, it really cripples you. Mm -hmm. And so the rest of the world is being progressive and they're moving forward and they're learning and unlearning good and bad things. You're stuck here. So what's going to happen to you is this person that does not want to learn. You're going to get yourself into a situation Mm -hmm. where you're going to say something and it can put your job on the line. There are countless people that have been in this position where they were resistant to learning and then they said something or they did something and now they're fighting for their job. Mm -hmm. It was a throwaway comment. Yeah. But now you're fighting for your job. And I don't want anyone to get to that point where they're trying to explain their case. Right. It's just you just learn along the way. Mm -hmm. Just do these learnings along the way. Yeah. So that's really you know, my position as an inclusion and diversity leader, I don't want this to be like this scary topic. Everyone has a piece of this pie. It's not just, oh, we're only talking about marginalized groups or underrepresented groups or women, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but everyone can learn something and have a piece of the pie. Yep. Okay. So we've been talking about people in the workplace. Also, with all of this said, I know that this specifically talking about the workplace, but everything can definitely be applied to just being a human on the street, being a human with your friends and your family. Right. This definitely goes beyond the workplace, but we know this, but hence the report was called Woman in the Workplace, so we kind of just stuck with the whole workplace topic. Right. But we touched on in the beginning how girls' rights are humans' rights. We need to look out for girls now because they're the woman who will be entering the workforce in the future. The way it is now for women in 2021, 2022, we want it to be better for the girls coming up. So what can we do now? How can we draft for girls worldwide? So that they're afforded the same opportunities as men when they enter the workforce. Right. So if you think about girls worldwide, no matter where they live, right, girls don't necessarily have a voice. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you become a woman and depending on where you are in the world as a woman, you now have a voice. You can now speak up. But for girls, you don't. Mm -hmm. And so as women and also as allies, because we may have some allies that are listening to this. You need to be the ally, the advocate for these young girls. Mm-hmm. There's so many resources and nonprofits and agencies out here that highlight the importance of educating young women. And again, this could be trans women, right? So or trans girls, there are agencies that advocate for supporting all of these individuals. And, you know, something that you have mentioned before is the needs of a young girl here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. may be very different from the needs of a young girl in India, mm-hmm. in Ethiopia, in Russia, in South America. I mean, you can just throw a dart on the map and the needs are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. And so I think that as individuals who want to help young girls, we need to learn about the culture in the, you know, in the various parts of the world where we want to assist girls and learn how we can show up for them, for the voiceless. Because again, one day they are going to enter into adulthood and into 
the workforce and we want to set the standard for excellence Mm -hmm. at a young age. And there are many women right now who are learning what is and is not acceptable. And they're learning this in their 20s and in their 30s and in their 40s. Imagine if we rewound the clock Mm. and you're teaching a 10 year old girl this so that Mm -hmm. they're not trying to make up for all this lost time Mm -hmm. as an adult. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's showing up all of the again, allies, advocates show up and be there for young girls. Yeah. The older I get, the more I learn about the different rights in the world. And it's crazy how like even the states of the U.S. is completely different, as we know. Right. And then looking at some places in I think it was India, too. Like some of some of these girls stop going to school when they hit puberty because they're embarrassed to have their period at school. It's heartbreaking how much education they're not getting just because they're growing up. And again, this goes back to cultural norms, right? There are many places in the world where, to your point, I mean, you are having your period. You're not in school Mm -hmm. and there's no one there that's ready to change that way of thinking, to change, you know, the fact that we're sending girls home or they're staying home for seven days while they're dealing with something that they have no control over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, hey, it's a human body, yeah. but I'm being shamed for it. Mm-hmm. And see, mm-hmm. even when you're telling them you need to stay away, you are now instilling shame in them. Yep. So as they grow, they will have this shame around a bodily function. This is just something that happens to them, but I'm ashamed of it. I'm hiding it yeah. because that's what I was taught as a girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, can you, I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine, but I know that it's a very real mm-hmm. thing. It's a thing. There is a documentary about it. I'll need to find out the name of it, but it's really good. And, and they talk about the school system and how there's this great organization that they're now putting like pad dispensaries in schools, which is awesome because now those girls are actually going to go to school because they'll have the supplies they need. Right. So I love that. Like, yes, I get discouraged knowing how the situation is at different countries and girls rights and all of that. But then you hear about the good work people are doing and right. different organizations and the work they're committed to. So I try to focus on those positive stories and positive people doing good. That stuff makes me happy and it keeps me going and hopeful. Anyways, now I'm having a moment. I really care about girls' rights. I don't know if you can tell that. but No, yeah. I love it. I love the energy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we talked about supporting girls. So when they get to the workforce, like they feel encouraged and supported and they stand up and they're holding their own. But what can we do now to empower them to be their authentic selves all the time? Being authentic all the time is a lot harder than some may think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because when you bring your authentic self to work, that authenticity can uh, look like the way that you style your hair. Mm -hmm. It can look like the way that you dress yourself, the way that you speak, the level at which you speak. And that's hard for some people because, again, their entire lives, they have been taught as a woman, you need to be reserved. Mm -hmm. You need to speak softly. You need to be seen and not heard. These are the type of roles that you can take on, right? Like you're not going to be the CEO of a company, but you can do this job over here. And I'm not going to name a job because, again, I think every single job that we have out there is important to an entire function of an organization. Mm -hmm. But you're like putting women in certain positions where you say, this is the type of job that you take. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, yes, there's nothing wrong with this job, but why can't I dream big? Mm -hmm. Why can't I wear my hair this way? Mm -hmm. Why can't I 
again, like have a tattoo that you might see if I roll the sleeves up on my suit jacket or on my, you know, my long sleeve shirt. Like if you saw a tattoo, oh, no, Mm -hmm. you know, is the world going to end? I'm still the same person. I'm still authentically me. So it is hard to ask people to be their authentic selves. However, I will say in my experience, when you are real and people get to know you for who you are as this really awesome person that cares about others, Mm -hmm. you know, you stand for something good. You always want those around you to succeed. They're drawn to that. They feel like they can be real with you because you were real with them. And this really comes into play when you look at leaders at any organization that can share. You know, I was actually reading something recently and there was like a leader who said for a very long time, they hid from everyone that they did not get a college degree. So whenever they would be in a room and people Mm. were talking about the different colleges and universities they went to, this leader would always change the subject because there was shame Mm. behind the fact that they did not have a college degree. Now, you know, this leader has been in the workforce for 30 years. So, I mean, like, what are you going to say? They don't have a college degree. You know, it's kind of like I wish you would say something, but (laughs) there's shame that that people attach to certain parts of themselves that they should not have. Mm -hmm. And so what's the benefit of authenticity? You get that authenticity and that realness from everyone else around you. Mm -hmm. But when you kind of present this fake side of you, this like cardboard cut out, very dry, I mean, I guess I would say tasteless version of yourself, people don't get to know the real you. And a lot of times they're not very comfortable around you because they don't know what you're thinking, how you will react to something. It's very uncomfortable for them. So this is actually something I talked to my leader about recently. And I said, every time I meet with you, I feel like I'm getting the real you. Mm -hmm. You know, whether your kids are coming to give you a hug and a kiss before they go to school or your husband's asking you a question or your dog is barking. This is the real you. And therefore, I feel like. I can just be very open and expressive about things that I may be experiencing or hearing because you have created that environment for me and for our entire team. Mm -hmm. And what a world, like what an amazing world to be in when you can work on a team where everyone's just real. Mm -hmm. You know, it creates that camaraderie, that that feel goodness where, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, I had a bad day and I'm going to keep it real. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just mentally not here today. But I will try my best to focus. And now everybody kind of knows, okay, the tone has been set. We can give you a little more grace today. So the authenticity is so, so important. I do appreciate working at a company where I'm allowed to say, I'm feeling anxious today. I am so sorry if I'm stressing you out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Because at least like people understand where your mindset's at. And it's because sometimes I worry that I come across as intense when I'm really just anxious in my own head and I'm trying to work out a problem. It has nothing to do with the person I'm working with. But here's the thing. So I want to take what you just said. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, I feel anxious. For someone to say, Danielle, I hear you and I see you and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to navigate around that. You now feel seen and you feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that there are many people who are in the workforce and they're like, hey, keep your emotions out of it. Like if you're not feeling good or you're anxious, you're sad, depressed, burnt out, Mm -hmm. fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have many folks in my life who are much older and they have that mentality, fake it till you make it. Okay, fine. 
But that's just not the way that I operate. I just like to let people know how I'm showing up and it's not being emotional. It's not, you know, sharing too much, as they may say, but it's just letting people know where you are. Mm -hmm. And then when they say, I hear you, I see you all good, like we'll navigate it. Yeah. Now I feel like I belong here. And guess what? I probably will stay here longer Mm -hmm. because I feel a connection with the people that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I know we kind of got into um, a really cool topic there, but I don't want to lose sight of empowering girls and letting them be their authentic selves. One easy thing I think we can do for girls of all ages is to never comment on how they look. Ask them about school. Ask them about the subjects they love, their favorite teachers and classes. They will be shocked that you're asking them that question. And then they'll be excited. Like they'll take a step back and they'll be like, oh, school. And then then they'll tell you about how much they love math. Right. You know? And you can ask them Again, what did you learn in school or what do you want to be when you grow yep. up or who's yep. your role model? And to your point, staying away from the looks mm-hmm. because or a, a girl's weight. You, oh, please, because no. these are yeah. things that, mm-hmm. again, for many women, they are still navigating through mm-hmm. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years removed from childhood. Mm-hmm. So but to your point, mm-hmm. you know, like, who's your favorite teacher? Mm-hmm. Why do you love them? Yeah. Oh, tell me more about. The classroom, Mm -hmm. you're expressing interest in what these girls really want to, you know, learn more about. Yeah. So I think that you're right. That is very, very healthy. Yep. So now I'm thinking about a time where I used to work in retail. It was I was just out of college and I was still looking for a full time job because it was very hard to find a job back then. But I was working at this retail store that I don't think it exists anymore, but they catered towards young girls like tweens, kind of like in between limited to or justice now and forever 21. And I would see these girls walk in with their parents and like the heads would be ha- like hanging down though because they didn't want to go shopping with the parents. But whenever I would work the cash register, I'd always ask them about school and legit. I would ask them like, what's your favorite subject or what hobbies are you in? And there was this one girl. She was like this most timid looking thing. She had on a blue tank top, really short hair, just went up to the desk with her mom. And I rang her up and I was just like, so how's school going? What's your favorite class? And she kept talking about how much she loves art and how she keeps this notebook. And she was so looking forward to getting a new notebook um, because like she just fills up the pages with all of her sketches and she was looking forward to getting a new notebook. And then she was looking forward to learning more about oils in our class. And she just wanted to stop talking about it. And I was just like, this is amazing. Right. Like, right. I'm so happy for you. You found your thing. Right. <laughs> it's like good when you see someone else passionate about yeah, a, a topic. I love it. And I think I said this before to you, but I love watching people talk with a passion about because you can see their eyes light up. It's just like, you found your thing. I love it. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. We've talked about a lot of things. This has been a really cool conversation. Specifically, as an inclusion and diversity leader, why do you think authenticity and belonging are crucial in the workplace and beyond? I mean, you touched on it, but... So I can tell you right now, all of the new research that's coming out around the great resignation is pointing to belonging in the workplace, Mm -hmm. especially when you look at women and people of color. Now, I know our again, our conversation is centered around girl empowerment and how that transitions into women being empowered. But. At the end of the day, people want to feel like they belong somewhere, that they are a part of something great, that they are on an amazing team where they are valued and appreciated and seen. And so, you know, in order to feel like you belong, again, talking about authenticity, you want to be real with your leaders and with your team. You want to feel like you belong. 
as more and more people start to switch jobs, and, and this is something that I'm even hearing from other inclusion and diversity practitioners, other friends of mine that have switched jobs, they don't feel like they belong. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily tied to their pay. It's not tied to their title. Mm-hmm. It's I don't like this is not my place. These are not my people. And why am I going to continue to sit here? When, you know, I just I don't feel like I can be my authentic self here. There's so many companies now that are inviting people to bring their authentic selves Mm -hmm. to their company. And if you join us, you know, you will belong here. And so one thing I want our listeners to think about, you're going to see the word belonging pop up. That's like the second Mm. word, empathy. And then the second one is belonging. You're going to start to see all of these companies talk about belonging, belonging, Mm. because that is something that people want to feel as they join and are a part of various organizations. So if people don't feel like they belong, they probably will listen to a recruiter, Mm -hmm. you know, say, hey, can I can I take 15 minutes of your time? Yes, you sure. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, I just I don't feel like I belong here anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm wondering companies, they might claim to instill this culture of belonging, but it's very easy to tell once you get there. Oh, those are all words. You got no actions to back it up. Right. It should be interesting what happens like the next wave. Like, right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, companies need to be able to define what belonging looks like. And belonging is tied to culture. Yep. So what's the corporate culture and then what are the cultures on various teams? So employers yeah. and hiring managers need to be able to define what is the culture of your team? Mm-hmm. What's the work life balance look like? Like, what are the expectations in terms of workload? Mm-hmm. How do you reward your your team? All of that is a part of it. So, again, to your point. People can talk mm-hmm. a good talk, but what are the actions that your company are currently implementing? Yeah. You know, so and that's a question that people should be asking as they are interviewing. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah. OK. You mentioned previously how because we were talking about microaggressions and uh, throwaway terms and people tend to get uncomfortable when those topics arise and they just kind of back away. This kind of um, is a continuation of, of that topic, the terms diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity. For some reason, they can make people feel uncomfortable. Why do you think that is? And what can be done to help people see that everyone can benefit from a more diverse and inclusive workplace? Sure. So the terms, again, let's just use the term diversity. There are people that don't know what we mean by diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, they don't understand what those terms mean. I think if you look at individuals here in the U.S., and Mm -hmm. we have a very sordid history around race and ethnicity, Mm -hmm. and once you start to meet people who just don't know what we mean by these terms, they throw up a wall. Because if they have a belief or a set of beliefs that go against what, you know, progressive thinking individuals kind of envision diversity and inclusion looking like, the person that doesn't share that belief will kind of like say, well, it sounds like what you all are saying is that these progressive folks are good, but I am bad Hmm. and I can't be real. I don't share those beliefs. I don't see it in that way. I feel like. You know, all of these diversity and inclusion initiatives are targeting people of color or women, but I am not a person of color. 
or a woman. So therefore, am I going to lose out on opportunities? Am I now not going to be promoted? Am I going to lose my job? What's this affirmative action stuff? Mm. And so there are all of these questions and they're not waiting to hear the answer. They just get very defensive. And that's hard. There's fear behind that. There is a fear of losing power or like a standing. And so, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I've even talked to some folks here and I've heard why they are uncomfortable with the topics. And I don't think any inclusion and diversity practitioner should go into an organization thinking everyone's just going to say kumbaya. It's all good. Like we get it. That's not the reality of it. Mm -hmm. You are going to have a good chunk of your employee population that just aren't with it. They're not jiving with it. So it is now your job to kind of figure out how can I explain this in a way to these various groups where they understand, Mm -hmm. oh, inclusion and equity means like fair pay, right? Like we want to pay people fairly. Mm -hmm. Inclusion and diversity means diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. And because you think differently, we want to diversify all of the thinkers in the room so that we can come up with the most Mm -hmm. innovative product. Diversity can also tie to where you went to school. Not every CEO is an Ivy League grad. But I think, again, people look at race and ethnicity, race and ethnicity with a sprinkle of gender, Mm. and then they shut down. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more. It's disability. It's veteran status. It's neurodiversity. Again, skill set, where you went to school, the type of experience you have. There are people listening right now that are looking for jobs and they say, man, this job says I need 12 years of experience and I only have eight. Mm -hmm. They're not going to hire me. Well, guess what? You would want someone who's into diversity and inclusion to tell the hiring manager, you can diversify your team by bringing this person on that has nine years of experience, but they have great social skills, right? Like they're a killer salesperson. You just have to give them a chance. Mm -hmm. There are people that would think that and they don't identify as a person of color Mm -hmm. Or a woman. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like explaining that everybody can have a piece of this pie. You just have to be open to learning what these terms actually are. Mm -hmm. How are they being defined? Mm -hmm. Instead of just shutting it down before you even learn anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for some people. I'm just thinking there are so many layers to this inclusion diversity topic. And as soon as you just take one piece of the pie, you realize, oh, this is, there's a lot. Right. And I feel like it's going to keep growing because then another topic is even access to like good Internet. If you think about like the tech service and stuff like that, like if we move to this remote world because of COVID, well, if you don't have good Internet access at home, what does work look like for you and school? What does school look like for you? Right. And that goes to with where you live. And that's a whole different conversation, too. It's just... I wish we had a lot more time to talk about everything, (laughs) but I know you're working on an inclusion and diversity podcast. Yes. So I am excited for that. That's going to be great. And so again, with this inclusion and diversity podcast, we are diversifying Mm -hmm. our slate of guests that we're going to have on the show. Mm -hmm. So it won't just be me, but it will be folks that run our employee resource groups, people from our inclusion and diversity committee. We're going to tap into our senior leaders and get uh, an understanding of what inclusion and diversity looks like and feels like for them. And again, it's just it's a diverse set of perspectives and voices. And I will say this until I can't say it anymore. 
when you are trying to communicate and implement diversity and inclusion initiatives, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. It is bigger than just me. And you will never see me as someone that's like, hey, it's the Shirley show. And, you know, me and me alone, like I'm the only person that is focused on inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. That's never going to be me. Mm -hmm. I need other people from all different backgrounds to help me on this journey, to help me touch some of these individuals who would resist it coming from me, but they wouldn't resist it coming from Danielle mm-hmm. because I know Danielle and I trust Danielle. Danielle looks like me. Danielle thinks like me. So maybe if she's presenting it to me, mm-hmm. I can think about it a little more versus it coming from mm-hmm. Shirley. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a village. And I welcome anyone that wants to join me on the journey to ping me and let me know. Um, I'm always looking for other people to walk alongside me and help kind of like evangelize some of this IND work. But it's hard stuff and it's very subjective and it's tied Mm -hmm. to people's core beliefs and values. Mm -hmm. And that can be very touchy when someone feels strongly about something or they think a certain way. Mm -hmm. And now you're having someone come in and say, maybe you can reevaluate the way that you Mm -hmm. think or say something Mm -hmm. that's hard for both parties. So, but whenever I have someone that wants to join in, it's great. It makes my job a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. Shirley, it has been absolutely amazing speaking with you around all of these topics with girls' rights, humans' rights, in general, women's rights, all the rights for everyone. There's a ton of work that needs to be done. Right. And you are very much aware of this. And we're super excited to learn more uh, about your Inclusion Diversity podcast. That's going to be absolutely amazing. Are there any parting words you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. So thank you for inviting me on. And again, um, if there are folks out there listening that want to learn more about how they can be an ally, an advocate, or who just say, hey, I'm starting from a very like elementary level understanding of this space, reach out to me, right? Like I'm not someone that would take offense if you do or don't know something. Um, I think we all start out somewhere where we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And we want someone who will be kind enough to teach us and help us along the way. So if there's anyone again that I can help guide, I am here. Awesome. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Shirley Knowles. In today's episode, you heard us talk about the 2021 Women in the Workplace report from McKinsey & Company and Lean In. We also referenced work being done by The Pad Project, along with the Netflix documentary Period, End of Sentence, directed by Raika Zatopchi. You can find links to these resources in the episode description. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, keep making us progress proud. (laughs) 